developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, your producer and co-host. So happy to have you here with us. Today we have on the show author, PhD, and Pastor Ike Miller. He is an Enneagram 3, and he has a brand new book called Good Baggage. We all, of course, have baggage, and he says that we typically associate all of our baggage as bad baggage, but he makes the point and the case in today's show that some of our baggage can actually be good baggage. Enneagram 3, Ike Miller, glad that he's with us, glad that you're with us, folks. And now, without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Hello, Typology family. Welcome back to the podcast on which we explore the mystery of the human personality, of the human adventure, and of the life of Anthony Skinner, my friend and producer. <laughs> Anthony, how are you doing, Ian, man? man, I'm doing really well. Enjoying the holiday season and uh, excited to be back with you here. I saw pictures of downtown Franklin, Tennessee's Christmas lighting on Instagram the other day, and it looked like Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> There's a significant difference between last year and years previous and this year. It is truly now shoulder to shoulder and something yeah. like Bonnaroo. If a rain comes and if there were mud, if there happened to be dirt underneath our feet, it would, it would be as nasty as Bonnaroo. You know, the difference I saw between last year and this year is it's even whiter than usual. That is amazing. <laughs> How is that even possible? How's that possible? Anyway, I, I, I digress. <laughs> It's, I digress. You weren't, you're not seeing my section where I am. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, <laughs> I've now offended an entire demographic of our audience. Anyone who lives within 100 miles of Franklin, Tennessee is now angry at me. Oh, well, that's okay. Anyway, my brother, we have a great guest on today. You've already uh, introduced him at the front end, and so I will not go into his impressive CV. Yes. Rather, we're going to go right to him. Ike Miller, Enneagram 3, author of the new book, which is titled Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. Welcome to Typology. Ian, Anthony, thanks so much for having me. It's so good to be here. I have been really looking forward to this conversation. Mm. Well, we'll disappoint you, but <laughs> continuing on. Well, you know, the whole reason I'm here really is to get all my questions about the Enneagram answered. So, <laughs> Oh, good. All right. More, more opportunities for me to talk. There you well, go. Well, you know, the the the... I think I've had a lot of cortados today. I had more than my one cortado. <laughs> you were amped up. And so I am I am I am jacked up until Thursday on caffeine here. But anyway, so hey man, I want to talk uh, to you just a, a little bit about being an Enneagram 3 yeah. like and and how you discovered that. Yeah. 
You know, so I think I first discovered Enneagram generally at the previous church I worked at. There were some pastors on staff there that um, read a lot of Richard Rohr, and I think they kind of came to know of the Enneagram through him. And so then that started a lot of conversations at the church kind of around, what what's your number? You know, and you're like, what, what, what are you talking about? What's my number? You know, and so you kind of go on that journey and you do a lot of the different tests out there to see, okay, which one am I? What's my number? What's my wing? And, you know, for a little while, I thought maybe it's a two because I love helping people. I love just kind of being there. I love supporting people. But I think what helped me really discover that I was a three was discovering what I'm motivated by and what I am most afraid of. And I realized Mm. I'm very motivated. uh, I'm ashamed to say by image management. (laughs) by um, achievement uh, and more so than kind of the people-pleasing, kind of people liking me of a two, so to speak, based on what I know of it. Uh, but also the fear of kind of being worthless. That 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 is yes. one that is just recurring, that it just eats away at me. And so those were some of the things that helped me to really discover that I was a three. <laughs> Yes, Risto and Hudson, I think, talk, and I believe it's Risto and Hudson, talk about this core fear of the three being um, a a fear of lacking value. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I regularly come back to that when I do some internal work and I'm investigating, why am I feeling this way? What's the core of this? Nine times out of ten, it comes back to feeling like, this communicates that I lack value or I feel like identity is threatened in some way. And so, yeah, that is so real. <laughs> That's so good. Mm. You're doing the work of asking yourself that uh, question is the three has a tendency to be yeah. some, some deceit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was another part of it that helped me to see it was discovering I honestly, uh, one of the things that just exposed so much of where as a three I can get in trouble was during the pandemic. As a pastor leading a church, I realized I was having conversations with people uh, who were on different sides of issues, right? Whether it was race or masking or all of those things. And I would kind of color my opinion in one way with one person, and then I would kind of color my opinion in another way with another person. And my desire was to create unity in our church, but I realized if these two people get together and talk, they're going to be like, he wasn't being honest with one of us. (laughs) And so, yeah. Yeah. So that is really powerful. And here's why. Uh, Number one, this is why uh, sometimes threes who are unhealthy can look like nines. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So when three is under stress, it goes to the low side of nine. And what they start to do is to want to avoid conflict and maintain the admiration of the other. So they craft an image that will, will not cause conflict, right? And then they're, they're thereby threatening their, their, what, we, what you know as narcissistic supply, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. I, I want to maintain or retain my I, my place of admiration in this person's life, blah, blah, blah. So I am going to avoid conflict. I'm going to swap out masks, become who they color myself in such a way that they're going to like who this guy is. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, that, that's a really instructive uh, point. Uh, I think the, the second thing you said that caught my attention was you used the word identity, that your identity was threatened. Now, talk to me for a moment as Enneagram 3, because twos, threes, and fours, big issues around identity. Yeah. If I were to ask you in a private moment, not on About like a podcast you. that a bunch of people are going to hear. <laughs> exactly. Put that behind you. Um, so 
If I were to ask you, tell me about or describe for me your core identity, how would you answer that question? Yeah. My default, so not when I'm being thoughtful about it, but my default is identity equals achievement, accomplishment. Uh, mm-hmm. I am what I have accomplished. And mm-hmm. that then that leads to lots of anxiety and stress for me because, for example, I went through a period where it felt like every time I got up to preach on Sunday, my identity was in question. My value Mm -hmm. was in question because it was tied to how well do I perform in this moment. And that was something I had to work through immensely was the connection between my sense of identity, this is who I am, and my performance. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but and that's good because you've now described what your the default yeah. setting is of mm-hmm. an of an Enneagram three. We know that twos, threes, and fours struggle with a, a, a fragmented sense of self, and they derive their identity primarily from, in the case of threes, a, achievement. Uh, for twos, from you know, uh, really deriving their sense of self esteem from the appreciation of others using helping them as a calculated strategy mm-hmm. for winning that appreciation. Fours, you know, derive their sense, very shaky sense of identity from being special and unique, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. But what now? Like, what what do you say to that voice in your head that says, my identity is inextricably linked to my achievements? What, what do you say to that voice? How do you counter it with the truth about your identity? What is it? Yeah. So what I did kind of doing that internal work and getting to the core of the reason I had so much anxiety on Sundays preaching was my identity and value was tied to me preaching. So if that's not what my identity should be, what should it be? And uh, there's a book called The Search for Significance it came out a long time ago. But in there, he talks about how for many of us, our uh, value or self-esteem is my performance plus others' opinion. That's how mm-hmm. we determine. But in a proper understanding of our identity, it equals God's truth about me. And that's where we go to you know, the baptism of Jesus and how we see Jesus comes up out of the water and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what we know from a theology of participation, uh, that whatever is true of Christ, if I have placed my faith in him is also true of me. And so what's true of me is that I am also God's beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And so rather than identity and value being something I have to go out and strive after and achieve, it's something I actually can rest in because it's already been given to me. And just what a difference that has made for me has been incredible. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, at the start of a new year, many of us can overfocus on setting resolutions to change or improve ourselves without really taking note of what we're already doing right. I like to take some time to reflect on what I did well over the past year and then set small goals to keep my momentum going for lasting progress in the year to come. Yes, me too, but it's easy to lose sight of where you're crushing it. So having someone to check in with and hold me accountable is really helpful. Me too, man. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of therapy. Obviously, I'm a therapist and... 
particularly, I'm a big proponent of BetterHelp's online therapy. Therapy is not just for those who have experienced major trauma or big life setbacks. It can also help you just develop self-awareness, learn how to set healthy boundaries, and make it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small, it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. After completing a brief questionnaire, you'll be matched with a licensed therapist and can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I encourage you to celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash typology podcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash typology podcast. It is so hard though. Mm Mm-hmm. To take a theological abstraction, like that, <laughs> even one that's rooted yes. in the Bible, yes. and move it to so weave it into the fabric of your person yeah. that you actually now default to that belief, yeah. and not only intellectually, but have a felt, palpable experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of that belief at the core of your person. On a scale of one to ten, where are you right now? <laughs> and how well I'm living in that? Yeah. Uh, at this moment, I would say a six and a half. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that's honest. I'm, yeah. I'm happy. Like, yeah. like, you know, and and of course, it's it it is sort of contextually driven, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there are some moments that we're at a ten with it yeah. at home with the kids. That's but right. Four when we're at work at the staff meeting and yeah. you know whatever. Well, and, and it changes. I have to be honest. I mean, right now, even in this conversation, I am in some ways in performance mode, right? Like, I am presenting something, and so it's easy in this moment to feel that temptation to my value is how well do I perform in this moment? Yes. So I've said this before on the show, and it's a, a quote from Saint Augustine, who's I go to St. Augustine's yeah. Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. So I'm a fan of, of St. Augustine. But, but St. Augustine has this great quote. He says, and it's a prayer, Lord, may it be for your sake that I am loved. Mm. And I love that because mm. what he's saying is there's nothing wrong with being loved and admired. Right. I'm sure, Ike, that wow. you are a lovable, admirable human being. So you should never feel bad mm-hmm. when people love you and admire you. Mm-hmm. In fact, you should rejoice and celebrate the fact that you're lovable and, and admirable. But it's for whose sake yeah. do you pursue? Do you, in, yeah. like, like, in other words, like, I just love when he says, look, it's okay to be loved and admired. He was. Mm-hmm. But let it be for your sake that I am so loved. Good. And I, I, I just I, I encourage Enneagram 3s everywhere I, to... Like have that somewhere, yeah. like you know, maybe a tattoo, Anthony. That's a <laughs> there you go. Um, hey, can I ask one question on that? Uh, just because you mentioned this earlier, I just I'm just curious. Was it a challenge for you with your identity uh, during COVID when people weren't gathering and you weren't able to do mm. kind of the normal thing you, you would do? You know, not too much in terms of like being on stage, being in front of people. I know that was a challenge for a lot of folks. For me, it was more on the level of we had just planted our church about 18 months before that. And so Mm. for me, it was more the reputation of is this going to fail? 
am I going to fail? You know, oh. and and so it wasn't so much the being in front of people as it was this is threatening my success. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The fear of failure, man, yeah. for threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why, by the way, Anthony, I think I've said this to you before, right? Like in the corporate world, and this is a gross generalization. There are <laughs> many, many exceptions to this rule, but in the corporate space, sevens tend to do very, very well as CEO. I mean, as um, you know, the entrepreneur, and threes tend to be better tend to be better as uh, CEO managers later in the lifespan mm. of the church, mm. by the way, mm-hmm. or of the of the company, yeah. because um, they uh, obviously they have more laser focus than a seven does, but also they have a they have a high they have a lower thresh like sort of a they're more risk averse mm-hmm. because of failure, mm-hmm. right? So they'll they'll like a seven is like failure, failure, let's do it. You know? And the three is like, yeah, I think we should do it, but give me a couple of days to do a SWOT analysis. Mm -hmm. Let me really think this through because they're thinking like, where's the potential for failure? Oh man. Ian, I've got something for you right here. All right. So my wife and I lead our church together. We co-lead, co-pastor. I am a three, obviously. She is a seven. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right, all right. Awesome. So I don't know. That may open up a whole lot of stuff, but well, I mean, you know, it's um, you have a lot of synergy, <laughs> but but she would definitely be a lot less, a lot more risk tolerant than yeah. you would be once the church was going. That's right. That's right. What's funny too, and this is this maybe this is a little bit of what you speak to as well, but. Uh, Sharon and I, that's my wife, did a, uh, we were asked to do this video about generosity and how do you encourage generosity in your church. And so we were doing this together and I kind of laid out like, here is how we go about building generosity in our church. And here's the steps, here's the system, here's the conversation, all of that. Then Sharon gets in and she shares a little bit, but she ends it by saying, but you know, at the end of the day, we don't really even know. Like, we're not even sure why it's working, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> you're killing me, you know? She does that all the time. And so we were doing a meeting. We were doing a meeting about, like, potentially a, a building for the church. And we were going to go through some finances. And so I said to her before the meeting, I was like, I love you. Please, in this meeting, after I lay out kind of the finances, don't say, but we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> So much you know, less image management there. <laughs> tiggers do what tiggers do, man. That's just how it goes, you know. Hey, listen, Enneagram 3s, uh, we are speaking with Ike Miller. We're talking to him. Uh, actually, not just Enneagram 3s, everybody. He is the author of the new book, Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. And I just want to highlight this book he just mentioned earlier, which is The Search for Significance, Seeing Your True Worth Through God's Eyes. came out in 2003. I don't really know the book, but it obviously did pretty well. It sold over 2 million units, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. significant. (laughs) So we're going to we're going to, uh, uh, on the basis of that, presume that there's some really good stuff in there for Enneagram 3s. Mm-hmm. I would bet in particular, but for 2s, 3s, 4s, everybody, but man, for 2s, 3s, and 4s, and that whole search for identity and significance through different 
channels, if you will, and uh, psychologically. Uh, it sounds like it might be a really, really good book for, for folks in, in that category. Now, speaking of that category, question uh, we ask people, I assume that you are now in therapy. Are you in therapy right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. No, that's good, man. That's good. Yeah. So, um, you know, Enneagram 3s are tricky in therapy. Interesting. Tell me more. Uh, what do you mean? Well, it, it can be, as a therapist who's had an Enneagram 3 client before who wasn't very healthy, granted, Okay. I always felt like I was in a house of mirrors. Mm -hmm. Like I was with somebody that was a kaleidoscope of Mm self-presentation. Like it just was like, well, who am I getting here right now? And it was interesting. By the end of a session, I would sometimes feel so awesome about myself. And I learned after, because they'd be like, man, that's really great. And, you know, and they would just buy into everything I was saying. And actually they would come in and tell me things that they almost psyched, like they almost unconsciously knew would make me admire them. Mm. Like I did what you t- told me to do last week and and this is what happened and I could hear the story and I'd be like, why do I feel like I'm being worked? Yeah. You know, like 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 yeah. this person's working me for for yeah. my admiration, yeah. right? And so there's that the, the obviously the deadly sin of self-deceit. Mm-hmm. Right? Like like it's like deceit. There and they don't even it's not like the guy came in and said to himself, "Man, you know what? I I'm, I'm just going to go in there and like tell Ian everything he wants to hear yeah. and about me so he'll admire me blah blah mm-hmm. blah." They, they, no one does that crap. Right. So for you in therapy, how do you stay honest? I mean, the short answer is I realized that me going to therapy and not being transparent and not being honest kind of made therapy pointless because mm-hmm. we're not actually talking about the stuff. And so I'm really wasting my money at that point because mm-hmm. we're not actually getting into what's really going on. Um, so that and quite honestly, and this is what I talk about about in the book, is my parents' own dysfunctional relationship and my father's alcoholism I was really motivated to pursue therapy and pursue counseling. My wife and I started our first year marriage, not because we had big problems, but because we didn't want big problems, kind of what we say. Um, And so I was very motivated from that end to avoid my relationships going down the same track. Mm. So I love that. And I think because one of the things that I check for with Enneagram 3 pastors, successful pastors of large churches, blah, 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 um, successful, seemingly successful. Mm-hmm. We don't know, regardless of size, if it's successful or not. But I warned them about calculated transparency. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That just got a rise out of you. Why <laughs> did I just get a rise out of you? Well, you know, you said just a minute ago that uh, someone will come into the office and they'll say, you know, I tried this thing and it was so great that there's a level of like false vulnerability in that even yes. of like vulnerability, vulnerability yes of like i needed that i used that it helped me because that's going to endear me to you um and so that's something i've had to be careful with in my preaching is i do yes. want to be vulnerable i do want to be transparent but i don't want to be manipulative and yes. that's kind of the line I try to walk. But yeah, that is something I'm always asking. Is this genuine vulnerability? How do I know that? That kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Well, how do you? <sighs> you know, when it comes to ministry, there's always been the line of like, don't talk about current struggles, only talk about past struggles. And the, I get that. I understand the truth of that. But it's, it's not vulnerable to talk about something that I've already overcome. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for some of it for me is 
being honest with myself of does it does it hurt on some level for me to say this because that's me being genuinely vulnerable mm-hmm. or is it sound like it's painful to you for me to say or is it just uh but it's not painful for me so that mm-hmm. that part of it too is like if it's really vulnerable it's actually going to sting a little bit to communicate yes yeah it, yeah puts a little bit of a lump in your throat right. when you do it one of the things that i i, I encourage enneagram threes uh to do is 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 check the ratio because it's never going to be perfect yeah right it's more like okay you know, I'm reading over my sermon, thinking through it, this story about my struggle with, I don't know what, you know, it could be, you know, lust or porn mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard some people like get up there and say some stuff sure. that I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that next week. But um, so I, I say, do you think your motives were 70% on? Because mm. 70% is a lot. Yeah. So if you got 70, 30%, I'm looking for admiration, 70% thinking this is really going to help people. Yeah, but yeah, run with it. I mean, you yeah, know what I'm no, saying? Like, like, it's like, yeah. there's no like, yeah, exactly. I mean, perfect that's litmus test. 100% true. And that's something I hear a lot from, I mean, that's a question I asked early in ministry. And I know a lot of younger pastors will, will ask is, well, what if some of me being up there is motivated by yeah. ego. And it's like, honestly, you can't a hundred percent remove that. Like that's part of, but nonetheless, you know, may they love yes. me for your sake. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, exactly. Right. Like, like, and you're not going to get this entirely right. Yeah. You do the best you can. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you, if you, you know, you bat a reasonable average, you know, then, yeah. you know, feel pretty good about it, you know, uh, and, um, have, you know, practice some self-compassion and just recognize you're going to get it right part of the time and not, and, you know, God's big enough to maybe hopefully cover up some of the, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that wasn't uh, legit mm-hmm. um, in your, in your self-presentation. So anyway, yeah, well, that's, that's helpful because I think it's, man, it's hard for threes to figure this out, man, especially in the beginning stages of their journey. Cause now they, once they learn about deceit and they see it, man, they get confused. Mm. Like, well, well, because if I'm not who I'm telling you I am, mm-hmm. then I'm nobody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, what, who, what, who am I going to be? Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to be the hole in the donut. Yeah. Who wants to, you know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Anthony. Yes. You know, Thrive Market has been our go-to for organic groceries for quite a while now. Oh, yeah. And so whether we're looking for certified gluten-free products or vegetarian snacks that meet our plant-based diet needs, Thrive Market makes it easy to curate our own shopping experience with the click of a button, Mm. brother. And we can trust that it's made with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. I just tried their plant-based siete carnitas seasoning and siete kettle-cooked queso-flavored potato chips, which are delicious and saved 34%. Ooh, I got to try those, brother. Our listeners can get similar deals. Listen up, people. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash typology for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash typology. That's thrivemarket.com slash typology. All right, let's talk a little bit about this book, Good Baggage, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
this is the in the subtitle how your difficult childhood prepared you for healthy relationships i'm a therapist i get it think it's fantastic i know i do i yeah. think it's great right there are a lot of books on this topic uh-huh. mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now or no not on this specific topic let me be more clear in general right like, like isn't it it's so much of therapy is about changing the story of what it is that you experienced yeah. so that you can, and I think as a person of faith, you would say that you can redemptively harvest from the ashes of your experience something positive mm-hmm. that you can bring into the present and uh, and mitigate the negative of the past and its intrusion into the present. Am I am I shooting anywhere near your zone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a big part of what I'm discovered in my own story and felt like went beyond some of the material that I saw out there that I was reading was the specific tools that I felt like my childhood put in me that were originally coping mechanisms for my particular situation that now, you know, they're baggage because we carry them into relationships that don't need them and it wreaks havoc. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there is a tool in there that if I can learn how to use it for relationships, it can actually lead to the health of my relationships now. So, for example, mm-hmm. one of those is uh, growing up in an environment with a father who had an alcohol use disorder. Obviously, it was always unclear what's the environment I'm walking into when I get home. Mm-hmm. You know, is it? But, oh, and this is so prime for threes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, like you could. You like I'm a four, but I have a strong three wing in part because I grew up with an alcoholic mm. father and I had to walk into every room and go, who do I have to be right now yes. to be safe? Yes. Yeah. And reading body language, reading emotions, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you could pick up on, you know, the emotional climate of the room very quickly. Yep. And so now as a, a pastor, as an adult, one of the things that was leading to exhaustion for me, especially during the pandemic, was I was trying to not just read emotions, but read minds yes. and try to come to some conclusion about what they wanted from me so I could meet that yes. expectation. Oh, gosh. And so that was exhausting. But I realized at the same time, if I can pull back from trying to read minds, the ability to read emotions is really helpful for communicating empathy. And so being able to walk into a room, say, with my staff or my team, and I can tell Something's going on. Let's not jump straight into business. We need to talk about whatever is going on here. Actually builds trust for my team. It builds communication skills. Um, And so that's just one example of a coping mechanism that we can use for good now. Okay. So what I love about what you just said is, is you have have underscored what makes your book distinct, Mm -hmm. right? What what separates it from the pack, Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm tracking with you and I, I'm feeling like, wow, okay, this sounds great. <laughs> so what I would say though, too, is this is an example of where you don't really want to throw out all the baggage. Like mm. this is my experience, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, in other words, I did learn things. I learned a lot of dysfunctional stuff that once I was able to see it and retool it, yeah. it gave me incredible instincts, actually. And I I mean, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I got good instincts. Like when I come into a room, I can smell trouble. (laughs) Right? No, like, like, or I can come into a room and smell harmony or I can figure out, oh, wait a minute, that person over there is feeling sad. Mm -hmm. That needs addressing. This person over here is angry, but they're smiling. So, (laughs) but I know they're really, really pissed. And this person... 
Now, yeah. that can be used to really good ends, mm-hmm. right? So as an Enneagram 3, all you threes listening, yeah. like don't hear me as saying, I want you to throw out your personality and start over. Mm-hmm. No, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. This requires sifting and discernment. Mm-hmm. Like how do I find those pieces of my broken self that can be retooled and turned into something really awesome yeah. Yeah. and will be used in service not to my ego's agenda, but to the agenda of helping and serving and advancing God's redemptive work in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me ask you this real quick. So just to kind of give you a scenario of doing this as an Enneagram 3, I had a guy in my office who was kind of in some challenges with his marriage. And, you know, one of the things that his wife communicated was he's an Enneagram 3 like, how do I know when he's being genuine? How do I know mm. when he's not just putting on like the good face and telling me what I want to hear and all of that? And I said, quite honestly, at the end of the day, it's going to be hard for you to know. And she was kind of talking about how there's this image management with his work and needing to achieve in his career. And now that's mm-hmm. cost them relationally. Um, and yet there's also the image management of not wanting a failed marriage, Right. And so what I told them was, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think he can change his motivations. I think he's going to be motivated by that on some level. The question becomes when push comes to shove, which is he going to prioritize the relationship or his career? And how does Mm. he leverage his motivation to have a healthy marriage to actually pursue a healthy marriage. I don't know if that's right, but I'm, you know, thinking through how do we use that tool for our advantage, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you gave really good counsel there. I think it's a very hard question. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really yeah. hard question. Yeah. Uh, and it, it would, what will have to happen is change will have to take place and remain consistent over a significant yeah. period of time before she feels that this person is um, acting legitimately. And look, our personality changes all day long. Mm. Who I am in this conversation right now will be different than the one I have with my oldest child who's here for Christmas 20 minutes after. It's like, (laughs) my personality is going to change. It's just natural. It's true for all of Mm -hmm. us, right? So that could be one of the things she's going to want to be careful of is being overly scrutinizing of everything the poor guy does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, there's there's a Japanese or Chinese word for self-deception and it means you deceive yourself in order to deceive others Mm. and one of the things that's challenging about that is a lot of times he may not even know when he's doing it right because it is a default and it's there's so much self-deception for the three she might be say saying to herself or to even to him are you telling me the truth and he Mm -hmm. might say yeah of course i am yeah 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 that's, that's yeah, a challenge. She, she, she's going to need to be invited onto the journey of his dis- discovering his true, authentic self. Yeah. Uh, and if she can be an ally in that versus someone that is like being the authenticity police, yeah. <laughs> um, then I think it's th- there's some hope there. But but if she's so burned at this point that you know, yeah, it's hard. It's it's going to be a, it's going to be a bit of a a bit of a struggle for them. Yeah. You know, all right. So this reminds me of a sort of a recent uh, conversation in psychology as it relates to your book, which is the difference between PTSD and what is now called post traumatic growth. Hmm. Meaning, how do we take things that we would perhaps previously label merely post traumatic stress disorder? And there are some things, man, that are so bad. Oh yeah, so bad that we could never kind of at any soon point 
slap a label of post-traumatic growth on it. But I think with within the normal mean of challenges that we face, right, there's an opportunity for post-traumatic growth. And I think mm-hmm. that sounds like what you're saying is like, you know what, man, there's some stuff. Sure, growing up in an alcoholic family is traumatic, man. There's some traumatic stuff that goes on. But there's a median that you can cross into have it becoming at least in my situation, yeah, yeah. I can only speak in my my situation. I really feel like I I found a place eventually of post traumatic growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're exactly right, and that's really interesting. I'm really curious to study more on that because I think what I came to was I can't change what happened. I can't go back and change the fact that that happened. All I can do is deal with what it has put in me. And what I do with that going forward. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. a part of the challenge for so many of us is we kind of get stuck in this place of, well, why do I need to do the work? It's not my fault. Somebody did this to me. And it is exactly right. You are exactly right. It is not your fault. And yet we are the ones who choose how it affects the rest of our life to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so being able to acknowledge, okay, it is not punishing them for me to not do this work, it's punishing me. And so how do I take steps to at least experience some healing, if not actually use some of that for my relationships? Yes. All right. So in the book, Good Baggage, how do you, I don't want to say simplify, although that's kind of what a good book does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like like in, in this format, like it's like, well, Give me the tools, man. Yeah. Like, tell me, like, okay, good baggage. So I hate to say it, but give me the to-dos, man. Yeah. Like, okay, well, here's a couple of hints I can give you about how to do this work. Yeah. What are they? The big ones really are revolving around internal work, internal examination. Um, one of the metaphors that I use a lot is a lot of times the pain that we are experiencing right now is really the symptom of something going on deeper down. And we tend to treat kind of the symptom, you know, we pull the weed up, but we don't get the roots out. But the work of actually experiencing healing means doing layers down, getting to the root of some of these things. And that's what I realized was going on for me personally was because I did not know who I was apart from who Mm -hmm. I was to the people in my life and what was valuable to them. I wrestled with how do I be my authentic self, but not even my authentic self, but how do I be uh, someone who doesn't change faces with every person I come in contact with? And I had to deal with that question of where's my value? Because if my value is in my performance, that's always going to change. But if my value is in something secure, then I can be more myself with each person. Mm. But I first had to understand the root issue was that question of identity. So one of the things that I give people in the book is a tool that I kind of adopted from uh, Toyota, actually. (laughs) Bring it. Um, So in Toyota factories, they had this thing called the five whys, which was this process for diagnosing issues in their factories. So the example I give in the book is, you know, the guy that is installing windshields is constantly late in in installing the windshields. So the, the factory manager comes to him and says, you know, why are you delayed in installing the windshields? And he's like, well, the guy who preps the windshields 
for me is delayed. So he goes to that guy and says, so why are you delayed in prepping the windshield? And they say, well, the guy delivering the windshield is delayed. So they go to the delivery guy and say, why are you delayed in delivering them? And he'd say, well, the manufacturer is delayed. And they go to the manufacturer and they say, why are you delayed? And they'd say, well, there's a shortage of resources. And the kind of the idea is by the time you get to the fifth why, you've answered your first question. Whereas mm. so often what we would probably do is fire the guy on the assembly line and find somebody that would work faster, right? <laughs> but we're going to have the same problem over and over again. It's just going to look a little bit different. Um, and so that being a process that I do internally and personally, when I'm feeling pain, is to begin asking that why question, because usually it's tied to something deeper down. So that's one of the to-dos among many in the book. Okay, that's juicy fare right there. That, <laughs> I, I like that. That's that's actually a really great metaphor. And it goes to show you, Anthony, it all comes down every time to the supply chain. The dang <laughs> supply chain. That's good. It's been the hardest thing in the last three years. I still don't have a couch, but that's okay. I like well, that five, uh, five, what, is it, did you say five, five layers wise. deep on the wine? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is super, super helpful. Yeah. Super helpful. Now, look, I'm not going to let you off the show because for seasonal reasons. <laughs> um, you, uh, uh, on your website, uh-huh. there's a message pop-up and it says, the holidays can be hard, tricky, and painful for folks who grow up in dysfunctional contexts. <laughs> and then you have an invite to a conversation on the three keys to navigating dysfunctional families during the holidays. Now, listen, I have an Uncle Carl and I'm telling you, <laughs> Uncle Carl is going to show up with a near psychedelic <laughs> set of conspiracy theories mm. on, on Christmas Day. Mm. And I want to know how, and here's your promise here, yes. how to avoid getting hijacked emotionally by problematic yes. family members, to avoid reverting back to childhood roles mm. and implementing healthy boundaries during the holiday season. Yeah. You're on. Yeah. I'm going to sum up an hour in one word. <laughs> Bring it. Self-differentiation. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me, I, I, I'll, I'll lay that out a little bring bit it. more. You know, I think in these moments where we find ourselves emotionally hijacked by a family member who has brought in conspiracy theories or their political perspective or whatever, typically we're being roped into something that, again, is operating on a much lower level. It's not really about the conspiracy theory. It's not really about the political perspective. That is a manifestation of something much deeper. So to give you an example, I had a conversation with someone recently about this, and we were talking about kind of them going into the holidays. And I know that this such and such is going to be brought up, and I'm going to feel this internal tension that I need to correct their perspective or argue back or whatever it may be. And I said, okay, let's, let's talk about that. Let's go a layer deeper. What is, what is painful about that situation? And they're like, well, I'm, I'm afraid that they're going to be disappointed that my perspective is different than theirs. And I said, well, is it, is it everybody or is there somebody in particular who you're concerned about how they're going to feel about it? And they're like, well, my parents, you know, so tell me kind of, well, why is that scary for you that your parents are going to be upset that you've changed your perspective? Well, I'm afraid that they are going to reject me because my perspective has changed. And by the time you've gotten to that point, you realize this wasn't really about the political issue. This is about your own internal wrestling with what is this going to mean for my parents' approval of me? Mm-hmm. And so I say all that to say self-differentiation is a process of being able to determine how do I remain relationally close to you without my emotional world being tied to yours. 
and your emotional state. Um, and so that's, that's that obviously there's much more there, but that's a huge part of it. Okay, now I'm armed, Anthony. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> the bi- I mean, the I'm, big takeaway I'm, is don't take the bait. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh man. I have to say, there are some days I get up and I go, I am so glad to be 63. <laughs> I, I have learned, someone said to me the other day, they said, well, how did, I have a young coachy that said to me, said, hmm. How did you know that? And I went, I'm not, I'm not going to use the exact language I use, but I said, you know, when you get to be 63, you know some crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. That's right. Well, I hope that helps all of you out there with the Uncle Carls of the world, <laughs> and um, whose name I have changed to protect the innocent in this conversation. <laughs> but. But I do think, man, that's a really, really helpful little snippet for the end of our conversation here. Hey, everybody, I want you to immediately go out and check out my friend Ike Miller's new book, Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships, because I'm telling you, it's great. Mm -hmm. And it's a book that everybody needs to get their hands on and, uh, you know, tap into some of these tools. Because look, here's at the end of the day, right? The Enneagram is really a tool for cultivating self-knowledge that then allows you to cultivate self-awareness, which is the ability in a given moment to pause, to step back, to self-observe, to make different decisions based on real thoughtful reflection. And all this can happen in a heartbeat, by the way, right? And, And make new choices than the previous ones that always got you into trouble, right? And uh, to to stop, and, and here's a question, Anthony, I was just writing about it in the new book today. To always stop and ask the question, what does love require of me right now? What does love require of me right now? And that might be with Uncle Carl. It could be with your wife, with your husband, your children, that we don't just go off on our defaults, but that we step back. And I think this is what you're saying in the book too, mm-hmm. like, right? Like to step yes. back, just step back. Dig deeper, look deeper. Don't navel gaze. Mm-hmm. No, there's a point here. Like, like, go in, look deeper, think, and then move through the world then with more emotional wisdom and kindness and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all yeah. those wonderful things. That's how those things get out. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Ike. Anthony, you got anything? Man, I feel good about this conversation. Uh, super excited. Like, I'm... Just shows what's possible for a three. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you wow. Know? That's a compliment, man. It is a compliment. <laughs> it is. Wow. Yeah. Ian, let I me mean, ask you this. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, we say it all the time. It's like, you know, there there aren't sometimes we stereotype instead of typing when people people do, right? Um, but yeah, it's I'm just inspired by the journey that you're on. Mm, thank you. Ian, this is sort of a random question, but it ties very closely with my book. Is there any correlation in terms of research or studies around childhood experiences and Enneagram number? Yeah. Yeah. Now, whether or not it's scholarly research. Sure. Sure. Uh, that, that, but you, there are plenty of PhD okay. like thesis floating around out there mm-hmm. on the internet about, for example, the Enneagram and attachment theory mm-hmm. or the Enneagram, and, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. So there's no doubt a ton of okay. stuff out there on it. But as you know, like the human personality is a conflation of so oh, yeah. many things, right? It's almost like 
you know, we, we have a conversation in the recovery world all the time, like where do addictions come from? And this person over there says, oh, it's genetic. And some people over there, they say, well, it's environmental. And some people over there will say, well, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The, the, the answer is we don't know. <laughs> and it is probably a conflation of all these different sources of, you know, influence yeah. in a young person's life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, how they how they end up becoming the the type that they mm-hmm. that they are, you know the enneagram is an imperfect model mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at trying mm-hmm. to be. It's just a conversation starter for us to talk about how we just typically show up for life. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I think when we t- make it something else, something like more profound and like something out of a freaking, <laughs> you, you, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. segment, you know, it's like, it becomes sort of silly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a great question. Yeah. And it's one that I, I, I never cease to ask. Like, yeah. what? How did we, and I've, I've changed my mind on it a million times. Yeah. So I had one other um, thought for Enneagram threes out there. Um, bring it, you know, one of the stories as I was processing my own wrestling with my identity and how I showed up, was the story of David and Goliath. And Mm. the story of David and Goliath, it's not the part you think. The part that caught my attention was the part where uh, David goes to, he says, you know, I'll go and fight Goliath. And so Saul puts his armor on David and David put, you know, tries to walk around in it. And he's like, this doesn't fit. This This isn't comfortable. I'm not used to it. We know David, or we know that Saul was a large man, and so it's very possible it didn't fit him physically. And I think about David in that moment, and I put myself in that moment, and honestly, my sort of reputation, my desire for self-preservation and uh, image management would say, but who am I to say, like, let me go fight this battle without armor to all of these guys who have fought battles their whole lives? Like, who am I to say, this is how this is going to be done, you know? And realizing that that's what I was doing is I was trying to walk around by being the the pastor that I thought was going to be successful by preaching the way the successful pastor preaches, by tweeting the way the successful pastor preaches. Like that was going to be protective and help me achieve. But in actuality, it was exhausting because it, it wasn't who I was. And so there was this distance between me and who I presented to the world, kind of like the armor that David had on. And for me realizing Actually, God created me with all of the tools, the abilities, but also the weaknesses, the things that I think make me weak in ministry, God actually gave me for this particular place in ministry. Mm. And so the freedom of being able to say, actually, this armor is not protecting me. It's hurting me. And with David, if David had gone out in that armor, he probably would have died. So the thing he thought was protecting him was actually could be hurting him. And I think that that's true for many of us as Enneagram 3s is the mm. thing we think protects us is actually hurting us. Wow. Well, that's a great way to end. <laughs> that, is, that is a slamming valedictory here go. at the end of our, uh, our, our time together. Again, everybody, Ike Miller, author of the new book, Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. Ike, Man, thanks so much for having yeah. being on the show. I am assuming that the way that people uh, find out about you is at ikemiller.com. That's right. That works. Yep. Okay. I called that one. <laughs> and then um, 
uh, your Instagram, I would bet, is at Ike F. Miller. You got it. That's right. Look at that. I just, <laughs> I just, I just guessed. And um, man, again, thanks for yeah. being on the show. Anthony, thank you for being on the show. Oh, you know, I'm always happy to be here, Ian. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Uncle Anthony, coming to Christmas. <laughs> hey, good to be with you, Ike. <laughs> My daughter's yeah, headed Anthony, your way you soon, too. by the way. Wonderful. She's wonderful. going to uh, Appalachian okay. State. Yeah. Okay. Three hours a, or so away, but. That's a great place. In the Carolina and, territories. Yes. Yes. And an easy commute to your church. And now, that's my right. dear <laughs> friends, you know how this show ends, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. And may you have rest. Until we are together again. See you later.